think Ravenwood and Nashville Christian. Anybody here from Ravenwood and Nashville Christian? What about Independence? Independence. Middle Tennessee was represented. These Middle Tennessee boys can ball, can't they? Well, it's great to be with you. It's an honor and it's always a privilege uh, just to come before my church family and have an opportunity to speak. I don't know how my voice is going to hold up today. Uh, I was yelling pretty hard on, uh, on uh, this weekend and, and went to double overtime. And so uh, for my wife, she isn't here. She's with the children right now. But I'm going to tell you a little secret about her. The fourth quarter as the game had went back and forth all game long, back and forth, lead change after lead change. And it looked like it was going to go one way and it swing back the other. She left my side. I'm cheering and hollering and we're screaming. And I realized she's gone. And well, maybe she went to the bathroom. And the whole fourth quarter, she's gone. I'm like, where's she at? Overtime, first overtime, she's not coming back. Second overtime, she's not there. And I would find out later that her nerves has, had, was so, she was so anxious and so nervous. She had went down into and so one of, the, one of my dear friends, Lyle Husband, and his wife's here today, they were relaying the messages, one person to the other, till it got to her in the tunnel. So she never saw the fourth quarter and either one of the overtimes until we went home and watched it on TV. Amen. But that's what a praying mom will do for kids. Amen. Well, I want to speak to you today on the subject of experiencing the miracle of adoption and finding the adventure of saying yes to God. Now, many of you, this is going to touch you on different levels, and it may have an impact, and you might even think that this is all about adoption, and it really, it's really not. It's really about what is your yes to God? What is your yes to God? But before I can share that with you, I was preparing the sermon, this scripture together, and and halfway through the middle of the week, God began to change my message. Sometimes God changes your message. Do you realize that sometimes? And so, and as I was on the way to church this morning, my, my insecurities began to set in on me. You know, I'm going to be speaking in front of my church family. And I speak a lot, but speaking in front of your church family is different than going on the road and speaking in front of people you don't know. And so my insecurities begin, yeah, you're going to be speaking, you're going to be taking the pulpit, and Dr. Williamson giving you an opportunity like this, and, I, and I, I'm, not Chris, I'm not Dr. Chris now. Now that man can preach, amen? And I am so excited to be a part of a family and part of a church group and church, church home that where a man gets up here and preaches God's word without any reservation, without any hesitation, so that God's people can be all that they're called to be. And so you, Scott, you're going to be up there preaching for Dr. Williamson. And I thought, man, Dr. Williamson, I, I'm not even a nurse, you know. <laughs> and I'm going to be taking the pulpit. For, so I hope God gives me the strength today to share something with you that might touch you and impact you in such a way. But I want to share with you before I begin my message how I said my yeses to God and how God began to develop this message inside of me. Because everybody has a message and everybody has a story. But my story begins way before today. And so I've done a little PowerPoint. I don't know how we're going to do this, but we'll just flip through some of the pictures. When I was in high school back in southeast San Diego, 
I just got shipped off and I had some trouble when I was in my youth. And so my mom shipped me off to my uncle, who was a Marine in Oceanside, California. And I had a choice to make. I could either go to a school that was kind of a, where all the kids looked like me, or I could go to a school that there was a lot of diversity and kids didn't look like me. And so I had my first yes to make and everybody told me, you need to go to Oceanside High School. And I just really felt like at that time, I wanted, I didn't want that. I wanted to be, I wanted to grow, I wanted to go to school where there was a lot of diversity. Um, and again, I know that sounds kind of odd as a high school student when I was 15 years old. But one of the main reasons was because I knew they had a better basketball team. <laughs> and a better football team. So I'll let you guys figure out if you can pick out me right there. So anyway, go ahead and put that picture back up there again. Let me tell you something about this, these guys right here. Those guys are my brothers. And they loved me, and they took me in. And I knew that I was, I was a minority at that point, and I knew that I was a different. And everywhere we went, and everywhere we played, in Los Angeles and southeast San Diego and all over San Diego, man, can you imagine the, the, the crowd when I would go in the game? I mean, they would wear me out. And my brothers, my brothers would link arms with me, and every time something would happen, they would just go to battle with me. And I was so grateful to have that opportunity. By the way, I was the white shadow before they, anybody was the white shadow. They called, listen, let me just tell you this right now. Uh, my nickname was White Chocolate. Way before Jason Williams was ever known as White Chocolate. I was the real White Chocolate. Amen? Y'all can YouTube me if you want to. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's go to something a little bit greater. Turn with me to Proverbs 31, 8, and verse 9. And I want to start with this verse because this verse has really changed who I am and what I am and what my purpose is in life. And again, I want to start by asking you the question, what is your yes to God? What is the one thing or the one things that God's calling you to do? What's the thing that God has touched you with or in place on your spirit or, or imprinted on your soul? Just about the things that you think about on a day-to-day -day basis. What's your yes to God? Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says, Open thy mouth for the dumb and the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. Open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. In other words, speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. The doc right here was telling you about children right now that are just are disabled and they have these debilitating genetic disorders and things that are going on with uh, their bodies that they can't control. Thank you for people that are speaking up for those that can't speak for themselves, that are touching and trying to make a difference in the quality of lives of children. And so I want to take you back to my first yes. And in order for me to take you to my first yes, I've got to share a story with you. 
when I was young, when I was in high school, I was invited to, and all of us have heroes in our lives, and all of us have people that we look up to. When I was young, I was invited to to be a counselor at a basketball camp. <clears throat> Some of you guys may have heard of a guy by the name of Irvin Johnson. And Magic was one of those guys, and I think I got a picture of me and Magic when I was in high school. It's kind of blurry right now, but that's me and Magic when he was in high school. And I remember being invited to his camps and being a counselor, and I remember sitting around those uh, lunchroom tables and, and those coaches like Jerry Tartanian and Mike Krzyzewski and all those young guys that were in co- they, were, they were younger at that point, but they were in college and they'd come to this camp and they'd work the camps and, and some of the greatest minds in basketball, they'd start moving those salt and pepper shakers around at the lunchroom table and I was just sitting there taking notes and I was listening to everything that they said and, and Magic looked at me across the table and said, hey, tell me your name. I said, my name is Scott Oatesfall. He said, what are you taking those notes for? I said, I just want to, I want to learn the more about the game. I want to learn about you but from the great, you know, minds of the game. And he told me, he said, you're going to be a great coach one day. Well, that was the seed. That was the first seed that somebody had planted in me and that said, you can be something great. You can do something. And you see, here's what I know. The scripture says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise bring forth healing. And here's what I know. Your words mean something. So when you speak words of destiny into people, when you plant seeds of destiny into people, it goes forth. And God, all he has to do is touch it with his hand of favor. And guess what's going to happen? Seeds of greatness is going to come out. So 25 years ago, almost 30 years ago, that man right there that you saw planted a seed of destiny in me that still today still burns bright. Now, it wasn't a seed of faith. Or victory in Jesus. Other people have done that. But it was a seed of destiny that would take me and ultimately drive me to be the best coach that I could possibly be. So that was my first yes to God. And so, or, or my first yes, is uh, he said, you need, to, you need to be a coach. You need to do something great. So I, I did. I started coaching and teaching in high school after I graduated from college. I had a pretty successful career at San Diego State as a football player. And then... I went on and I had a couple tryouts with the NFL, and the NFL for me meant not for long because I had a couple tryouts and got cut. <laughs> now my kids are here today, so I got to make sure I, I, I tell the story right because again, to them, I, you know, I got, I, you know, anyway, I was great at one time, and then all of a sudden, just things happen, injuries, and you know how it is. And I just here's the bottom line: I really wasn't good enough to play in the NFL. That's the bottom line. But what I know is this: is that every broken road, every misstep. Every failure was the pathway to something else God was trying to do in my life. So let me just share a kind word with you, a word of encouragement. You might be in the valley right now, but God can bless you in the dark places. God can take a mess and make a message. And here's what I know. If you'll stay in faith, if you'll stay in hope, God can take you where you're at and he can use you for his glory. So I began to teach and coach, and I was discouraged when I, when I got cut from two NFL teams, and I thought, God, don't you need some Christians in the NFL? I mean, I mean don't you need somebody that's going to represent you too? I mean, go, well, I, can, I can be that guy, you know. I really can, you know. Or I can go teach for minimum wage. <laughs> Whatever you want me to do, I'm willing. And God put me on that path, and so I began uh, teaching and coaching and in the early 90s, and I was a young teacher and a young coach, I, I got a call from a guy, and 
He said, you know, there's this little country church, country church, and they got these kids out there that they don't have anything. They're poor. They're all crop farmers. And um, they're calling us to ask us, is there anybody that would be willing to come and do a little basketball clinic for these kids that don't have anything? And I, and I said, I, I don't know. I mean, I, at that time, now, I remember, I'm a young teacher, young coach. My wife's pregnant with our first son. We don't have any money. I mean, we, we're really, anybody out, can I, can, I, can I get real with somebody today? Anybody out there juggled bills like, all right, let's pay this one now. Let's wait for next week. We'll mail this one. And it, just try to make sure it times out right. That was where I was. I, we just didn't have any money. We were just broke. Uh, and we're trying to make it on a teacher's salary. And he said, you know, it's in Marion. It's south of Marion, Alabama. Anybody know where Marion, Alabama is? Let me tell you something. You, you, don't, you don't just drive through Marion, Alabama. You got to be going to Marion, Alabama to get to Marion, Alabama. You understand what I'm saying? And, and, and when you get there, when you ask the people, where is the line in the middle of the road? They don't know what you talking about. And so he said, just get out there, man. You'll go bless those kids. And then, you know, you can speak at the church on Sunday. I mean, you'll just have a great time. And so, and I didn't want to do it. I mean, I had, I had plenty to do. And the main thing is I didn't, I didn't even have the gas money to get there. I really didn't. I didn't have the gas money to get there. But something in me said, Coach, you need to go do it. God's given you an opportunity to, to plant some seeds of destiny in some poor children. And then you get an opportunity to share what God's doing in your life on Sunday at that little church. And so I did. I got in my car and I drove. And it seemed like I drove for hours and hours. I got off the main road, the interstate. And again, this is south of Marion, Alabama. I mean, it's not like you can just pull off and go to McDonald's and get you something to eat. You got to build a McDonald's first. You understand what I'm saying? And so I drove and drove and drove and drove and drove. And it just, one, one this little dirt roads after dirt roads, there's no lines in the middle. Of the, I mean, there's, I didn't know what, you didn't see anybody for miles and miles. I didn't even realize there were towns that still existed like this. You know, I came from California. I mean, this was like a whole new world to me. And so I pulled up and there, the, out of nowhere, pops this little church, dilapidated, broke down. And I get out, and I'm just standing around, and I'm looking, and, 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 and I'm going, what, what am I doing here? What, why am I here? And this old farmer, he comes out. He said, you the coach? I said, yes, sir. He said, all right, well, you're going to be staying right here. And so I parked my car, and they, you know, back in the old days, Pastor, you'll appreciate this. Those little churches had those little rooms where the guest preachers would stay. I mean, just had a little room, a little sink, and a little cot. You know what I'm talking about, Doreen? And, and I didn't know what, I mean, it was like, what is it? I mean, I didn't know if it was a, I didn't know what was going on. So I get in there, I got, I got ready, and I'm just sitting there. And it's about 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock at night. And I'm sitting there on the edge of my bed, that little cot, a little sink in there. 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock. 11 o'clock, it's midnight now, and there's no, I mean, you're, I mean, you're hearing sounds, and I'm from the city, I'm a city boy, and I'm hearing sounds I've never heard before, ever, and I'm out in the middle of the woods, and it's, it's getting scary, 
And then Satan starts to whip in my behind. He was like, you know what? They're going to kill you out here. They got you out here. They coming for you. Y'all think I'm kidding. And I'm sitting on the edge of that, and I'm thinking, what am I doing in this place? I'm out here, and I remember, now I left my house at like 10 o'clock that morning. It's midnight. I hadn't ate anything. I'm about to starve to death. I mean, I'm thinking somebody's going to kill me. And Satan is just dogging me, dogging me. And so I sat there that whole night up at every sound. And I get up that morning, I'm thinking, I'm getting in my car and I'm driving home. There hasn't been one person greet me. There hasn't been one person come to me. I don't even know what's going on. I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing. There's no, I'm supposed to be teaching basketball. There's no basketball goals. There's just this little church out in the middle of nowhere. So 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock comes around, 10 o'clock. I get in my car. I'm start, I mean, I'm, that's it. I'm out of here. So I go and start, get to start my car, and look, I see a guy come and pull him, just walking out of the church. He said, hey, coach, coach, coach. I said, yes, sir. He said, you about ready to do your, little, your, your coaching or whatever? And I'm like, what? Where? Where am I going to coach at? He's like, come around the back of the church. So I come around the back of the church, and there's this little beat-up old, just pitiful-looking goal. I mean, just pitiful dirt. I mean, it was unbelievable. So I pull my basketball bag out of my basketball, out of my car, my trunk of my car, and I lay my basketball bag down. And when I lay that bag down, kids begin to come. I mean, I, I never seen anything like this. They would, it's like they were coming out of the woods. I mean, kids coming, no shoes on, no shoes. I, mean, I never seen anything like it. By 30 to 45 minutes, there were about 40 or 50 kids from every age group, from five years old to 18 years old. And I sit there and glory to God. I worked with those kids like they were my, that's like they were the national champions. I worked with them all day long. I sweat received in my whole life as it relates. And we, again, these kids had nothing, nothing, all colors, all creeds, all, I mean, they were just as poor as poor could be. I never seen anything like it. But I coached them up as hard as I could coach them up. And we worked all day long. At the end of the day, this was Saturday, at the end of the day, lady comes up to me. She's sweet as can be. She says, Coach, she said, you want to come over to Miss So-and-So's, Miss Johnson's house and eat some supper with us tonight? I said, I'm, I'm, I'm about to starve to death. This is going on two days now. I ain't even ate. I said, yes, ma'am, I think I do. Um, so we went over there and I'm telling you, now listen, I, again, coming from San Diego and I'm a health coach now. And so this would, this would go against all my, all my health coaching principles, <laughs> but I'm talking about, they fixed a meal like you would not believe. I'm talking about everything you can imagine. Biscuits that big right there. You can stick your finger right in the middle. I mean, just, it's unbelievable. And we ate and I know they looked at me like, golly, has this man ever ate before? So I told him, I said, yes, ma'am, I hadn't ate in two days, almost two days since Friday morning, and now it's, you know, it's Saturday night. And she said, what do you mean you hadn't ate? I said, well, 
I, I left my house at 10 o'clock and now it's, you know, it's 8 o'clock on Saturday night. She said, well, what about Mrs. So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so? And here's what had happened, just like a bunch of confused churchgoers. They, one lady thought she was supposed to be feeding me that night. The other lady thought she was going to feed me the next morning. They got their lines crossed. No, I didn't get fed at all. Like a bunch of confused Baptists. <laughs> Amen. Here I am, caught in the middle of it, about to starve to death. I preached as hard as I could preach that Sunday morning. I got up to that little church, and there was about a hundred people there. Most of them just poor crop farmers. And I just preached as hard as I could preach. There was an old farmer in the back; he had overalls on. He stood in the back the whole time with a scowl look on his face. I mean, he just, I mean, just a mean looking fellow. I mean, he was a big old boy too. Well, he just looked every time I'd say, I just preached. I only had one message at that time. And I preached to God. I came out of the book. And boy, people just came forward. There was about four or five got saved, gave their life to Jesus. And that old boy in the back, he just stood the whole time. And I thought, man, that, that guy, he looks mean. So I'm walking out and pastor gets up and he, he said, Coach, we, we want to take a little love offering for you. I'm thinking, glory to God, I'm going to have gas money to get back home. And they took a little love offering for me. It was like $70. I thought, gosh, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to have enough to get my gas tank full and I'm going to be able to stop by McDonald's when I get to the interstate. <laughs> and I'm on my way out. And that old boy stands in the back. He's got his overalls on. He's looking at me. And as I walk past him, I just think, oh, man, he's going to say something to me. And he, he grabbed my arm when I came by. He said, come here, coach. I said, yes, sir. And I was looking up at him, and he was just a big old. You could tell he is probably in his 70s or 80s, but he was just worn out. And he reached in his back pocket, and he handed me a little envelope. Been up, and he said, I don't really have much, never have. He said, an old man like me don't have much, but young man like you come out here and give all our kids the attention, love, and care that you showed them. Old man like me, I'll do something for you. And I handed back that envelope. I said, I can't do this. I can't take this from you. And this is what he told me, and I've never forgotten it. He said, son, he grabbed me by my arm. He said, son, when God tells you to do something, you better do it. And he passed that envelope back to me. I put it in my back pocket. Went on down the road, got in my car, and I was just praising God all the way home and got back to the interstate. And my car was almost on empty. I mean, I don't know how I made it back to the interstate. My car's on empty. I pulled into the first gas station. I started pumping gas. And I reached in my back, I had forgotten about that envelope, and I reached in my back pocket, and I pulled out that envelope and opened it up. And I realized it was that, that man's government check, his little Social Security check. And he had signed it over to me. And then I remember me sitting on the edge of that bed when Satan was wearing me out, telling me I wasn't good enough, what am I doing out here, well, you're going to get killed, they're going to cut you up, all that kind of stuff. And I held that envelope up in the, in the air. And out loud, I said, where you at now, Satan? 
Where you at now when God came through for me? You was wearing me out when I was on the edge of the, I said out loud. You was wearing me out on the edge of that bed. Now where you at when my God came through for me? I know people was looking at me like, what in the world is wrong with that man? Here's what I know. God is good. And God can bless you in the dark places. So I came on, started my career, had a great opportunity very, very early in my career to be a college basketball coach. Started to become a college basketball coach and had my first two boys. And we, I just had the perfect family, the perfect life. Two young children. We were going and blowing. I had great success as a, as a high school coach, now as a college basketball coach. And then something terrible happened. I was uh, coaching at Belmont University, and I was on the road about 200 days a year almost. It seemed like recruiting and college basketball is a pretty rough sport when you're out recruiting and on the road with Final Fours and everything else. And came home one night. We had just played the University of Alabama, and, and – uh, what I usually did, this was when we had VCRs. I had like a stack of 10 VCRs where I'd clip tape and cut tape and send them off to other schools, and they'd send me tape, and I'd just break the for practices. And Came home about 2 o'clock in the morning, eased in bed with my wife, and I immediately put the night. I had been gone about seven days. And again, when you're in college basketball season, you have to understand that this just it takes over your whole life 24 hours a day. And I put that tape in, and my wife says, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm just getting the tape ready for the next day. And this is what she told me. She said, it's always going to be the next tape, isn't it? It's always going to be the next recruit. It's always going to be the next scouting report. And at that moment, I realized for the last six years, I had really followed my dream as my family. So I went into the athletic director the, next, the very next day. And I said, I won't be coming back next year. I'm going to be doing something else. God's calling me to do something else because I'm following my dream, but I'm sacrificing my family at the same time, and I can't do it both. And I'm not being the man God called me to be. That was my next yes to God because I knew that he, he knew that I was pursuing something that was going to come to an end. And then when I looked backwards, I would have lost the thing that was most precious to me. Am I on somebody's street today? And so I took a high school job and realized that I never thought I'd go back to high school. I thought, but anyway, I took a high school job. Let me show that picture of my, of my the next picture. There I go, right there. I got my, love, my young family, the perfect family. And I thought, I'm done. Got two children. Got two strapping young boys. We're going to grow them up. And we're just going to live that life. We're going to live that life. So I'm in my first class in, in high school, and I'm back to school, and I got this young girl that comes to me in my second semester, and she tells me, and this is what she tells me. She says, Coach O, Coach Scott, I think you need to uh, go adopt a little girl from China. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when somebody just out of the blue suggests that you should go do something that you've never thought about before and never considered and never really wanted to do, that's not really a normal request or a normal thought in my mind. And I thought, what do you mean go adopt a little girl? to go adopt a little girl from China. And I said, all right, I'll pray about it. So for two straight weeks, she would come to me every day. Have you prayed about it? 
Have you prayed about it? Have you prayed about it? Have you prayed? This is every day for two straight weeks. And finally, I said, Emily, no, I haven't prayed about it. I'm not adopting a little girl from China. I've got my family made up. I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what she said. I think you're scared. You think I'm scared? She said, I think you're scared. I said, I'll tell you what. You go tell your parents, because, see, I knew adoptions cost a lot of money. I said, you go tell your parents to sponsor me. I'll go get me a little girl from China. How about that? Very next day at school, she comes in. Hey, coach, my mom said, get the paperwork ready. You're going to China. <laughs> that little girl, by the way, is named Emily Chapman, Stephen Curtis Chapman's daughter, who, by the way, they have a foundation that raises money to help families adopt children, which I didn't know, which that's against the law for her to just, you know, put me and trap me like that. <laughs> So I began to, on an adventure, and by the way, I gave my word, and I said yes to God again. And it forever changed my life. It forever changed my life. I wrote out a list of things, of all the reasons why that I shouldn't adopt a little girl from China. Don't have enough money. Don't have enough time. Don't have enough, uh, you know, can't raise my own children right. I don't have to, I'm not being the dad. I'm, I mean, and everything on that list was about me, was about my own selfishness, was about my own greed, was about my own insecurities, my own shortcomings. And finally, I realized that if I was ever going to be the man God called me to be, I had to step out on faith and trust God and just leave the results up to him. Because, see, the Bible says... Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And finally, when I asked the question, why would I not? I mean, I wasn't called to. You know, I'll here's something. I've got six children, four adopted. I've never been called to adopt, ever. Never been called. I just know that was the right thing to do when God, when God said, go, I went. You know how he said go? Through my wife. <laughs> That's how he said go. And I just said yes. But let me share how this story really unfolded. We adopted that first little girl. It was amazing. Every year and I, my wife and I, she always, we have this thing. We'll be married 25 years this month. 25 years. So, and, you know, we've been dating since we were in junior high school, since we were 14 years old. And I always tell everybody, you know, we, we got married right out of high school. She couldn't keep her hands off of me, so we had to get married. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, at least that's the way I remember it. Uh, she'll probably tell you something different, Pastor D. Um, after we adopted this first little girl, it began to change the dynamics of our family. I had, fam I had people in my own family that told me that don't do this. Don't, don't do our family like this. Don't ruin our family. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? Don't ruin our family. And I thought to myself, you got to be kidding me. What do you mean don't ruin your family? That's why I'm so grateful that not only does my family look like my church, but my church looks like the world. That's why it's so cool. 
That's so cool. So we adopted that next child, and again, it was unbelievable. Uh, Gwen came to me and said, hey, I, I really think we need to have, you know, we need to adopt another little girl from China uh, because I want Emily to grow up, and I want somebody to look exactly like her in our family. And again, I didn't understand that. I mean, it didn't make sense to me, uh, but it made sense to her because that's what God spoke to her. And she was special needs, and she was burned, and she was beaten with an injury. She, when, we, when we got her, she had so many brain injuries and so many, I mean, it was unbelievable. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. I was, I was in a panic. I didn't know how we were going to provide for this family. I didn't know how we were going to, how we're going to, what about the medical bills? You know, when you talk about having a brain surgery, Doc, you understand that they can get to the hundreds of thousands of dollars overnight just like that. And how are we going to do this? And God provided every penny, every step of the way. Every penny, even in my doubt, even in my unfaith, if you will, God still showed up and showed out. And though, so then she came to me, and Maggie was a really tough child. And she, again, I got to be very careful how, how I frame this. But she was beaten and she was burned alive when she was a baby. Because that's what they do. They just, throw the, they just throw them away. There's no value on life. And so for one straight year, she would not go to anybody, would not hug anybody, would not touch anybody except my wife. And I remember just hours and hours and hours, and she would go into tantrums and physical. It just, it's unbelievable. I can't even begin to tell you what we went through. It was the hardest year of my, the darkest year of my whole life. So I took the other two, three. My wife took Maggie for one straight year and just loved. And I'd, I'd get up in the middle of the night. Two, three o'clock in the morning. My wife wouldn't be in bed with me. I get up and I, I and I see my wife holding that little girl, praying over her, singing over her. She'd fight against her and bite her and kick her, and she didn't know love. She didn't know what love was. All she knew what was abuse and and and, and for one straight year, I saw my wife do that every night. Every night for one straight year. And then the unthinkable happened. My wife, you know, has our foundation, 147 million orphans, and she speaks all over. She came to me. She says, Scott, we've got the Orphan you know, Awareness Alliance conference coming up. She said, you're going to have to stay with the – I'm going to have to – you know, you're going to have them by yourself for this weekend. I said, honey, I don't think I can do it. I can't, I don't want to be, a, I mean, I don't think I can do it. She said, you can do it. I said, honey, Maggie's never been without you at night. You know she, she goes berserk at night. You know that that's when it's hard. She said, God's going to, God's. So every single night, my wife has a ritual. She's phenomenal. She goes into every one of our kids' bedrooms, and she says, speaks a blessing over each one of child before she goes to bed every night. You are created special. You are unique. You are God's. I mean, she just, it's unbelievable. She has a special little blessing that she speaks over each individual child every night. And so here it is, my turn. Everything went great during the day, but when nighttime comes, I knew I was in trouble. My wife's gone. The three kids, the other three went to bed perfect. I go into Maggie's room, and I said, all right, all right, guys, come on, let's, let's, I mean, I didn't even know what to say. I mean, how are you going to follow what she does every night? I mean, I just put, everybody put their hands in, let's, let's have a good night's sleep, and let's uh, pray for good, sweet dreams, and 
Let's go team on three. Ready? So I say my little prayer over Maggie, and she's just sitting there looking at me. I said, Maggie, I want you to have a great night's sleep, baby. We lo I love you. Daddy loves you. And Maggie had never really even hardly spoken to me in one year, ever. And so she just pulls her covers up, just looks at me. So I walk over to turn the lights off, and I'm thinking, oh, God, please just let her lay down and go to sleep, please. And as soon as I go to hit the lights, she says, Daddy. I thought, oh, gosh, here we go. Here we go. I said, yes, Maggie. She said, Daddy, I love you. It was the first time she had ever said anything really meaningful like that. Here's what I know. Listen very carefully. God doesn't waste a hurt. He doesn't waste hurts. We all have hurts that we're going through right now. and We all have pains. But God never wastes a hurt in our lives. As long as we allow him to write the story. As long as we allow him to write the story. Children have to belong before they believe. Children have to belong before they believe. Well, I'm going to fast forward to you. Gwen came to me very quickly after that and said, Honey, I think we need to do it again. And this time I want to go to Africa and I want to adopt two children. I said, Honey, you, you've lost your mind. You, you've, you've lost your mind. There's no way we can do this. On a teacher's salary, a coach's salary, we've got four children. We've got a special needs daughter. There's no way we can do this. She said, I'll tell you what. She said, I know you're worried about the finances and the expenses. She said, I'm going to raise the money myself. I said, what? She said, I'm going to raise it myself. If I raise the money myself, will you say yes again to God? And I said, how are you going to do that? She said, I'm going to sell a T-shirt to raise the money. <laughs> I said, all right, good. I'm in on that one. I said, if you can sell a T-shirt to raise $20,000 or more, you go for it, girl. I said, this will be, she'll get, we'll have a few of our friends and family who love us and feel sorry for us. They'll buy a few T-shirts, and then that'll be that. Now, there I got a picture of the T-shirt. Do I have a picture of, the, of that shirt? There it is right there. It says, you love the orphans, you love them not. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. That's the exact shirt, by the way. That's the, then it became the flagship symbol of 147, which God would create into becoming one of the uh, great ministry that he's grown now into probably 10 or 12 different foreign countries and domestically across the country. But can I tell you something? That girl sold over $20,000 worth of T-shirts. So I'm sitting here in my bed. I've already said yes to God. My wife's in Africa, and she's bringing home two more children, by the way, that don't look anything like us. But I remembered my first yes to God. Remember that first picture I showed you where I was the only one that looked different? God was developing something and planting a seed that would create a family that would look like the world one day. And that would give my wife and I a platform 
to go out and plant seeds of destiny in other people. So I'm laying in my bed that night. My wife's in Africa. And a panic attack arose on me. And, and, I, and I became paralyzed. I'm bringing home two children. I can't do this anymore. I, this is too much for me. I can't, ho I can't handle it. I just can't handle it. And I was broken. But here's what God showed me. You remember the story of the fishes and the loaves? When Jesus took the loaves out, he broke it, and then he what? It multiplied, right? And every time he would break the bread, it would multiply again. It was only in the brokenness that the blessing came out. It was only in the brokenness that God was able to multiply the blessings. And so here I am broken, scared, in a panic. And I said, God, I'm only asking you one thing. Give me a sign. Now, I haven't asked you to give me a sign before, but give me a sign that I'm doing the right thing. I have to know that this is from you. I can't, I can't go. I'm in a panic. I can't do this myself. Will you help me? Give me one sign. My wife calls me. This is 2 o'clock in the morning. She's in Africa. My wife calls me, basically, with this story. She says, I've got the children. I'm going to be bringing them home. She said, you want to know their names? I'm thinking, golly, what names? I don't what, what you mean? Yeah, we're going to change their names. they got African names. We're going to change their names. She said, well, you know, I'm thinking like, you know, Makembe, Matumbo, and all that. I mean, I just, I mean, I don't know what. what. And my son had an, a, a traditional African name, obviously. She said, do you want, to, you want to know what your daughter's name is? I said, sure, sure. Tell me what, what, her, what her name is. Now, this is her God-given name, by the way. This is her African name. Do you want to know what it was? Daisy. Do you want to know the vision that God gave my wife a year before? A daisy. Thank you, Jesus for answering prayers and showing up even in the dark places, even in the moments of brokenness. God can take the messes and make a message. But you got to know the glory before you can get to the story. Amen? And so God began to show me, and here's what I say. People all the time always say, Coach, you guys are extraordinary. You and your wife, we can never do what you do. And that's not true. And when you say yes to God, it's the greatest adventure of your whole life. I can assure you that God will provide every need if you're willing to step out on faith first and say yes. Turn with me in your Bible to the last piece of Scripture, 2 Peter 3.9. Let me show you what the greatest yes is. So here's the greatest yes. The Bible says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So what that means, family, is that God has a yes for you. God doesn't want anybody to perish. This is very clear. I didn't mince words right here. This is very clear. God says, I want everybody to be a part of my family. 
and God has adopted you as sons and daughters of the Most High King. So your first yes is a yes to Him. And then allow Him to write the rest of the story on your life. Do you receive that this morning? What is your yes to God? So I end where I began. And that is, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Find your adventure of saying yes to God. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, we love you. Thank you so much for this story. Thank you for, the, for how you can take a story and make it your story. And, Father, thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. And even in the brokenness, Father, I thank you for uh, the opportunities to, to multiply the blessings. And so, Father, I pray today if there's somebody under the sound of my voice that you have a great yes for that hasn't said yes to you yet, that today would be the day of salvation for them, that they would turn the reins of their life over to you first so that they can be a child of the Most High King. And then they can really, really walk into the true destiny that you have planned for their life. If there's fear, if there's doubt, uh, if there's insecurities that's holding us back from whatever you've called us to be, I pray today that you'd break that stronghold, break that bondage, and that you would take that mess and make a message. And we pray it with thanksgiving in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, Strong Tower. Thank you so much for allowing me to speak. Keep standing. Go ahead and keep standing. Just grab somebody's hand next to you and let's pray and then we will dismiss. Lord, thank you so much for the message today. And that's really what you ask us to do is just to say yes to you, to whatever it is you ask us to do, Lord. And you tell us that you've got